Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred Keith, Episode 5 How did you learn all you've been telling me, Rue? asked Mildred, as they stood side by side, watching with interest the Queen Charlotte and her consort slowly clearing the harbor. Oh, easily enough. Young Wells and I got into talk while you and the others were down in the cabin. Asked questions and he answered him. Ah, here he comes, he added, looking round. I'll introduce him, for he's a nice fellow, I'm sure, and it's a good thing to have a friend at court. In other words, to be in favor with the reigning powers, i.e., the captain and his nearest of kin. My sister, Miss Mildred Keith, Mr. Wells. Happy to make your acquaintance, miss, said the young seller, gallantly, lifting his hat and bowing low. Hope you enjoy your voyage on the Queen Charlotte. Shall be most happy to do all I can to make the trip pleasant to you. Thank you kindly. He began at once by finding comfortable seats for them, where they were sheltered from the sun and had a good view of the Canada and Michigan shores. And being acquainted with the localities and their history, and possessed of a ready command of language, he added much to the interest of the scene by the information he imparted, sometimes unsolicited, at others in answer to questions. When they had passed through the Detroit River and so far out into Lake St. Clair that little could be seen but water and sky, he offered to show them over the vessel. They gladly accepted, enjoyed the tour, and when it was over rejoined the rest of their party just as the cabin passengers were summoned to the supper table. Mildred was seated between Rupert and Edward Wells. Opposite them sat Mr. and Mrs. Sims, the bullying Englishman and his meek-eyed wife, and a bachelor gentleman of pleasing countenance and manners, whom Captain Wells addressed as Mr. Carr. Next them were Captain and Mrs. Jones. There were many more passengers of both sexes, several nationalities and a variety of ages, from infants in arms up to hoary-headed grandparents, but with most of them our story has little or nothing to do. The two captains, the wife of the one and the son of the other, were polite and genial. The fare was excellent, and everyone present seemed disposed to contentment and good humor except Mr. Sims, who turned up his nose at the food, snubbed his wife, and scowled at his opposite neighbors, perchance reading too plainly in the frank youthful countenances their disapproval of him. Mildred so compassionated the long-suffering wife that in the course of the evening, seeing her sitting by herself and looking sad and lonely, she drew near and opened a conversation. Mrs. Sims responded readily. Do sit down, miss, she said, making room for Mildred by her side. I'm so glad to have someone to speak to, for I get awful homesick at times. Ah, oh, that must be a very feeling, Mildred said compassionately. I know nothing of it myself, for I've never been away from home or mother for a week at a time. Well, miss, you're fortunate. Have you been long in the country? It's barely six months, miss, since I left my father's house in London. We kept an hotel 
and that's how I came to know Mr. Sims. He'd taken lodging with us while up to London about some business, he had, with the lawyers. And are your own family all still in England? Yes, miss, every one. I left them all, father, mother, brothers, and sisters for him, she answered with a tremble in her voice and wiping her eyes furtively. What a shame he should treat you as he does, was the indignant exclamation that rose to Mildred's lips, but she checked herself in time and changed it for, then I think he ought to be very good to you. I hope we'll be happy, miss, when we're settled down in a home of our own, remarked the little woman with a half-stifled, patient sigh, and indeed it's not half so bad as I expected. I've been astonished at finding so many white women in America. I thought when I landed in New York I'd be the only white woman there. How relieved you must have been on discovering your mistake, remarked Mildred demurely, while her eyes twinkled with suppressed fun. That I was, miss, as you may well believe. It quite reconciled me to the country. The sun rose brightly the next morning, and the young Keiths were early on deck romping and racing about, fall of the vivacity and mirth, usually incident to extreme youth and perfect health. They were well watched over by their father, Mildred, and Rupert, or there is no knowing what wild and dangerous pranks might have been indulged in by Cyril and Don. The former actually proposed a flying leap from the deck of the Queen Charlotte to that of the steamer, and was not at all pleased by the decided veto put upon it by his father. I think you might let a fellow try, Papa, he grumbled. It would be such fun, and I know I could do it. No, you couldn't, said Donna, peeping over the ship's side. It's a big, big place. Come over to the other side of the deck and stay there, said Mr. Keith, leading them away. Rupert followed, holding Fan by the hand. What was that? What were they throwing in? He asked, stopping suddenly at a sound as of a heavy body plunging into the water, while at the same instant a startled cry came from the deck of the Milwaukee. A man overboard! A man overboard! The fearful cry was taken up and repeated on all sides amid the rush of many feet and the quick, sharp, imperative words of command. Almost instantly a boat was lowered, and strong arms were pulling with swift, vigorous strokes for the spot already left far behind, where the splash of the falling body had been heard, and keen eyes were eagerly searching the waste of waters, the crews and passengers of the three vessels crowding the decks, and following their movements in breathless anxiety and suspense. They pulled backward and forward, calling out to the drowning one that help was near. Ah, yonder, he is at last, cries a woman's voice in exultant tones. There he is with his head above water, for I see his hat. And they see him too, and are pulling toward him with all their might. Ah, there, up with him. They have him now. Hooray! And a wild cheer rose from hundreds of throats. But it died away in a groan. It was his hat only his hat poor fellow and they've given it up and are coming back without him sighs the woman who had been the first to raise the alarm every face wears a look of sadness for the few moments of silence waiting as the rowers slowly return 
They gained the deck of the Milwaukee, one of them a lad of nineteen or twenty, a rough, hearty sailor, comes forward with a subdued manner, in strange contrast to his accustomed rude hilarity, lips white and quivering, tears in his manly eyes. Mother, mother, he says, low and huskily, drawing near this woman with tottering steps, don't, don't take it too hard. I, I couldn't bear to see you. I did my best. We all did. But we couldn't find him. And here's his hat. It, it was little Billy. My boy, mine, my little one, she shrieked and fell fainting into the arms of her elder son. There was not a dry eye among the spectators, and as the sad story spread to the other vessels, many a tremulous tone and falling tear arrested the pity and sympathy of those who told the tale and those who listened to it. But how did it happen? queried one and another, and the answer was, he was jumping back and forth from one vessel to another and fell in between the milwaukee and the steamer and it is conjectured that he must have been struck by the wheel as he did not come up again and it might have been one of ours sobbed mrs keith clasping her babe to her breast while her eye glanced from one to another of her darlings oh how frightened i was when i heard the cry i don't know how i got up the cabin steps for i thought it was perhaps Tears choked her utterance, tears of mingled gratitude for herself and sorrow for the bereaved mother. Yes, it might have been you, Cyril, or Don, and think how poor mother's heart would have been broken, and mine too. Mr. Keith added, sitting down and taking one on each knee, Now do you want to try jumping across like that boy did? They shook their heads, gazing up into his face with awe-struck countenances. The sad event of the morning seemed to have exerted a subduing influence upon all the passengers. It was a very quiet day on board. The calm continued throughout the day, but a breeze sprang up in the night, and the vessels parted company. By daylight the breeze had stiffened into a wind that made the lake very rough. The ship tossed about on the waves with a motion by no means agreeable to the land louvers in her cabin, and steerage everything not made fast to floor or walls went dashing and rolling from side to side of stateroom or saloon few of the passengers cared to breakfast and those who made the attempt had to do so under serious difficulties table and floor being both inclined to planes sloping now in one direction now in another they passed a miserable day confined to the cabin, for the rain was falling heavily, and the great waves would now and then sweep across the deck. Still the captain assured them the storm was not a bad one, and they were in no danger. By the next day it had abated so that they could seek the outer air, going about without experiencing much difficulty, and preserving the center of gravity and nearly everyone had so far recovered from the deathly seasickness as to be able to appear at meals. Life on shipboard, which had seemed quite dreadful during the long hours of the storm, became again. The older people promenaded the deck or sat there with book or work or merely chatting and looking out upon the restless waters while the children amused themselves with their plays or in running about exploring every nook and cranny and making acquaintance with the sellers who seemed to enjoy their innocent prattle and merry ways. 
All the Keiths had suffered from seasickness, and Mildred was among the last to recover. It was not until towards sunset of the second day that she could be induced to leave her berth and allow her father to assist her up the cabin stairs to the deck. Here a couch had been prepared for her, and the loving hands of mother and aunt busied themselves in making her comfortable. Brothers and sisters gathered rejoicingly around. Mrs. Jones brought a glass of lemonade. Mrs. Sims offered smelling salts. Someone else a fan. And presently the two captains and young Wells came up to offer their congratulations on her recovery. Then Cyril and Don led up and introduced Mr. Carr, the bachelor gentleman with whom they had already formed a firm friendship. He's a real nice man, Millie, said Cyril, knows lots of stories and games and things, and, and pays with boys, put in Don, and tan do everything. Yes, he's Will Dude, chimed in Fan, and I likes him. Thank you, my little maid, said the gentleman, laughing and stroking her curls. Now, if you could only get your sister to look at me through your spectacles. Why, I hasn't dot any spectacles, exclaimed the child, opening her eyes very wide. Maybe Papa buy me some when I dits an old lady. Then I lets Millie look through. That's my good, generous little sister, Mildred said, laughing. And if I'm so fortunate as to get glasses first, you shall borrow them whenever you wish. Now go to your place, dears, and let sister rest till she feels better, said their mother. Please come with us, Mr. Tarr, said Don, tugging at that gentleman's coat. Don, Don, you must not... Ah, don't reprove him, interposed the gentleman, lifting the child to his shoulder and prancing away with him, while the little fellow shouted with laughter and delight. Isn't he a nice man, cried Zilla and Ada, looking after him. We all like him ever so much. Yes, assented the mother, but I am very much afraid my children impose upon his good nature. Don't let that trouble you, Mrs. Keith. He is surely able to take care of himself. Besides, it's quite evident that he enjoys their society as much as they do his, said Edward Wells, taking a seat near Mildred's couch, where he remained chatting in a lively strain with her and the other ladies until it was time for them to retire to the cabin. Fair weather and favorable winds made the remaining days of the voyage a pleasure till one bright June morning they entered the Straits of Mackinac, and reaching the island of the same name, anchored in front of its fort. The captain informed his passengers that the ship would lie there for a day or two, good-naturedly offered to take ashore any or all who would like to go. Nearly everybody eagerly accepted. The boats put off from the ship, each with a full complement of passengers, whom they landed just under the white walls of the fortress, situate on a bluff one hundred and fifty feet high. Passing up a flight of stone steps, they entered the parade ground. It was smooth, hard, and clean as a well-swept floor. They walked across and about it, viewing the officers' quarters on the outside, and the barracks of the men walked long by the wall, noting how it commanded the harbor and the village of Mackinac, with its great guns, beside each of which lay a pile of black balls, heaping up in pyramidal form. Then they visited the town, saw some Indians, and bought curious little bark baskets ornamented with porcupine quills, blue, red, and white, and filled with maple sugar, and heavily trimmed with beadwork all manufactured by the Indians. 
The young Keefs were made happy with a pair of moccasins apiece from their father, bark baskets from their mother and aunt, and unlimited maple sugar from their friend, Mr. Carr. They returned to the ship, tired but full of content. They were as usual early on deck the next morning, a little before the rising of the sun, for they liked to see him come up out of the water. How very still it is! Hardly a breath of air stirring, Mildred was saying to her father, as Edward Wells drew near the little group, all standing together looking eagerly for the first glimpse of the sun's bright face. Yes, we are becalmed, said Mr. Keith, and very possibly may be detained here for several days in consequence, added Edward, greeting them with a cheerful good morning. In that case, we will have an opportunity to explore the island. May I have the pleasure of being your guide in so doing? Do you mean all of us, queried Cyril? Yes, my man, if you will all go, answered the sailor lad, with a glance of his eye seemed to extend the invitation to Mildred in particular. Oh, father, can we, can we, course the children? We will see, he said. Now watch, or you'll miss the sight we left our beds so early for. The matter was under discussion at the breakfast table, and afterward, and it was decided that all might go ashore, but that the walk under contemplation was too long for the little ones. Ada Keith was the youngest of that family, who was permitted to go. But others joined them, and Edward found himself at the head of quite a party of explorers. Ada came back looking heated, weary, and troubled. Oh, mother, she cried with tears in her eyes. We saw a cave where some Frenchmen were hiding from the Indians and got smoked to death. The Indians did it by building a fire at the cave's mouth because they couldn't get at them to kill them some other way. Oh, I'm so afraid. Do persuade father to take us all back to Ohio again. The mother soothed and comforted the frightened child with caresses and assurances of the present peaceable disposition of the Indians, and at length succeeded in so far banishing her fears that she was willing to proceed upon her journey. However, the calm continuing, nearly a week passed, and many excursions had been made to the island before they could quit its harbor. At length one day, directly after dinner, a favorable wind, having sprung up, the good ship weighed anchor, and pursuing her westward course, passed out of the straits into Lake Michigan. All night she flew before the wind, and when our friends awoke the following morning, she rode safely at anchor in the harbor of Chicago. Though a large city, now it was then a town of less than 5,000 inhabitants. This was the port of the Queen Charlotte, and her passengers must be landed, her cargo discharged. It was with feelings of regret on both sides that her officers and the Keiths parted, Edward Wells taking an opportunity to say in, a, in an undertone to Mildred that he hoped they would sometime meet again. St. Joseph on the opposite side of the lake was the next port whither the Keiths were bound. A much smaller vessel carried them across. They had a rough passage, wind and rain compelling them to keep closely housed in a little confined cabin, and were glad to reach the town of St. Joseph, though they found it but a 
dreary spot, no grass, no trees. The hotel, a large, barn-like, two-story building, with the hot summer sun streaming in through its windows, without hindrance from curtain or blind. For the rain ceased about the time of their arrival, and the sun shone out with fervid heat during the two or three days that they were detained there. Resting the Sabbath day and awaiting the arrival of their household goods before ascending the St. Joseph River, on which Pleasant Plains, their final destination, was situated. There were no railroads in that part of the country then, nor for many years after. I think there was no stage route between the two places. There were no steamers on the river. The best they could do was to take a keelboat. The rain had ceased, and the sun shone brightly on the rippling, dancing waters of the lake and river, on the little town and the green fields and forests of adjacent country, as they were on board the keelboat Marianne, and set out upon this the last stage of their long journey. The boatmen toiled at their oars, and the Marianne moved slowly on against the current, slowly enough to give our travelers abundance of time to take in the beauties of the scenery, which they, the older ones at least, did not fail to do. Much of it was unbroken forest, but they passed sometimes a solitary clearing with its lonely log cabin, sometimes a little village. The river flowed swiftly along, clear and sparkling, between banks now low, now high, green to the water's edge. The sun was nearing the western horizon, as at last the boat was run in close to shore and made fast with the announcement, Here we are, strangers. This here's the town of Pleasant Plains. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.